Aptus, episode podcast 120. What are we doing here? That's my question today. When we start talking about church, what are we doing here? You know, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20 says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets that he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, Jesus said he was going to build his church. And I have a burden for this podcast episode, and this is going to be just a little bit different from what I normally do as far as the structure, the tone, the tenor. But I want to encourage you to stay with me to the end because I, I want to show you something that I just think is vital for us to grasp for the health of our church, for the health of our ministries, and frankly, for our own spiritual health. As I said at the beginning, you know, the title of this is What Are We Doing Here? And when I ask that question, I mean, when it comes to church, what are we doing? What, why are we doing church? What are we supposed to be doing? And I think this is a question that is not getting asked enough right now by church leaders. You know, we get sucked into the hustle of church. Sunday's always coming. We're constantly preparing for the next service, the next message, the next counseling session, the next event, the next whatever. And, and this isn't unique to us by any means. This is like the big C church has been sucked into busyness. And as a result, we are having mission drift. You know, we know what the church is from a theological standpoint. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. We know that the church is compromised of individuals who make a confession in Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior. Like We know the doctrines. We know the church is the body of Christ. We know that the church is the universal body of all believers. We know that the church is Christ's reward for his suffering. We know that church is Jesus's idea. We just read it. Jesus said, I will build my church. But what we're not doing is we're not stopping and we're not asking the question, when Jesus said that he would build his church, what idea did Jesus have in mind? What was that church going to look like? What was that church going to do? What was the purpose? When you start looking at the mandates in scripture, I, I think that you can really say there are three big things, three primary mandates for a local church. Humor me for a moment as I go through these and read some some scripture to you, but it's it, very common. Humor me because we're going somewhere with this, okay? Three mandates for church. The first mandate, nurturing the saints. The One, one of the biggest things that you see in the New Testament is that the church was to nurture the flock, nurture the saints. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And he, speaking of Jesus, and Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So like nurturing the body. We, we try to turn this around into an evangelism uh, passage sometimes, but it's not. It's for the building up of the body. And we know it's not in talking about numerical growth because we continue to read on. It says, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together in every joint, is which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So what is this passage telling us? It's telling us that our responsibility as church leaders is to build up the saints in faith and in knowledge of Christ so that we can be mature Christians. Mature Christians. One of the, one of the primary responsibilities for church leaders is to make sure that they are nurturing the saints so that they can reflect and resemble Christ. And they're not being thrown back and forth by, by the world's deceitful schemes, by human cunning, by you know stress and anxiety of life. We are to nurture the flock. I mean, think about all the commands that we see in the Bible towards church leaders. You know, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Paul told the, Ephes- the Ephesian uh, elders, you know, guard the flock. Peter told the elders, in First Peter, to shepherd the flock, Paul told said that his aim was to present the church as mature believers. You know, we're told that we are to gather together for worship and not to forsake the gathering. You know, we are commanded to honor the sacraments of the church, which are water, baptism, communion. When you look at all these things, those actions are for the maturation of the flock. It is training the flock to reflect Christ. So as a result, our worship services, our, our gatherings, should be conducive for these mandates to happen. You know, a, a gathering of believers should have worship and prayer and scripture reading and preaching, gospel presentation, communion, baptism, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to move amongst the people. All of these things must be done for the nurturing of the saints. So that's the first mandate to a church, specifically church leaders. Second mandate to a church is to evangelize the lost. So we all know Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So these are people who are not saved. They don't have a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into into his harvest. Very clearly, the church was responsible to reach the lost, to reach non-believers. When Jesus came, he said, look, I came to seek and to save the lost. Like we have a responsibility to make sure that we are we are doing everything we can to reach those who are far from Christ in our community. We we have that responsibility, that mandate. That's what Jesus was doing. He was seeking and saving the lost. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing. He was going to the ends of the earth to try to, to do whatever he could to reach the lost. So we have we need to mature, excuse me, nurture the sheep. We need to evangelize the lost. And third mandate that we see to the church is ministering to physical felt needs. Matthew 14, 15 through 21. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, 
this is a desolate place and there is, and now the day is over. Send the crowds away into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So the pattern that Jesus taught his disciples was to meet people's physical needs when they could. And we see this pattern continue in the book of Acts. There's a welfare of the widows. There's a collection for the poor. And in fact, it tells us uh, in, in the book of Acts that there was no needy person among them you know you read into history that the the first christians the first church had a reputation based upon their compassion ministry i mean there's accounts of early christians taking sick people with plagues and illness into their homes at, at the amazement of the people in society you know the romans would look at this and say man what in the world are these people doing they're taking these sick people with plagues into their homes and they're taking care of them so there was a jo- social justice, and I, I know that term has been skewed in our modern day, but there was a social justice amongst the, the first Christians. And, and you see this play out, that, that Christian justice changed so much for the better in the world uh, and, and for people's felt needs and how, how people were treated and how people were respected. Christianity has changed the world more than anything else. So you see these three primary mandates, these, these overarching mandates. Um, this is obviously not all-encompassing of what a church could do, but these are the three big things that you see a church active in, nurturing the sheep, evangelizing the lost, and ministering to physical felt needs. Now, why go through all this? Because I want to ask you a question. Which one of these is most important? I mean, which, one's most, which one should come first? Which one should come second? And which one should come third? Now, our natural temptation, based upon our own personal uh, giftings, our own for personal pa- patterns, uh, of of interest, you know, the things that we like, we're naturally going to fall in one of those three and say, this one's the most important. But the answer is that none of them is more important than the other. We need balance in all three mandates and objectives of the church because the moment we get out of balance with one of these, then bad things are going to happen. My friends, this is why I'm passionate about this. This is why I want to talk about it today. Because the big C church is out of balance, and I think we're seeing some errors and abuses as a result of that. You see, when the church focuses too much on nurturing the sheep at the expense of evangelizing the lost or ministering to self uh, to felt needs, then the church is going to swell with self-righteous, legalistic people who only care about the color of the carpet and the volume of the music. Now, they're going to know the Bible, and they're going to vote for the Republican Party, you know, they're, they're going to talk the right talk, but they are spiritually obese and self-absorbed. Now, they're going to say they want to reach the lost, but as soon as reaching the lost disrupts their tastes and their preferences, they're going to stop whatever it is they're doing to reach the lost and go back to business as usual. On the other hand, a church that only cares about evangelizing the lost is quickly going to lose heart for the lost and they're, all, they're going to become all about growing the church at any expense. The church service is going to become 100% seeker sensitive. They're never going to mention sin or repentance. 
you know, they're not going to you know, mention anything that's going to make somebody uncomfortable. You know, avoid the LGBTQ stuff at all costs. You know, we, we want to have conversations, not make statements. You know, we're, we're going to work the volunteers into the ground because we're reaching people for the kingdom. Every dollar is going to go into marketing and buildings and growth. You know, if we can't see some market time out of what we're about to do, we're not going to do it. You know, sure, we, we have discipleship opportunities. Join a small group. But let's be honest, those small groups are afterthoughts, and we avoid the primary discipleship opportunity of Sunday morning, which is the pulpit. You know, we, it, you see this very common in the West right now. Sunday morning is about reaching the lost people. It's not about, it's not about nurturing the sheep at all. Like the sheep, they should be spiritually mature. We can deal with them later. Like, right, Sunday morning is about reaching the lost. But this gets out of balance, and it becomes all about growth. And when it's all about growth, you start burning out volunteers, and frankly, you mismanage resources. And before long, you're going to make concessions and doctrine. Now, what about those other churches? Those other churches, all they care about is meeting felt needs. What happens to these churches that only care about meeting felt needs is that before long, you don't really have a church, but you have a glorified social club that's doing community action. Because they constantly start jumping into partnerships with people that just diabolically disagree with the gospel, but we do it for the sake of unity so that we can help more people, and we stop drawing lines on the sand and doctrine and morality. It's not about winning the loss, and it's definitely not about discipleship. It's just about giving somebody another piece of, another piece of bread. The problem is that they might be able to eat today, but they're going to hell tomorrow. So, so whenever you start getting out of balance in any of this, bad things are going to happen. So as church leaders, and here at JFA specifically, as church leaders, our job is to take a hard look into the mirror and ask ourselves the question, do we have balance in the mandates that Christ and the gospel and the Bible have given us? And the answer is probably going to be no. I mean, because, because balance in and of itself is very difficult to do. Try to balance an egg on its end. You can do it, but it's very hard to do. That's why there's this constant tension to be managed. You know, there's always going to be an area that we're weak in, and we're going to need to reevaluate and adjust and in six months, we need to ask the question again, do we have balance? And the answer is probably going to be no. And we need to reevaluate and we need to readjust. We have to shoot for health in this local church. So the question then is for us in this podcast, why in the world am I talking about this today? Why am I talking about this today? Well, what spurred this conversation on is Charity and I just finished the uh, second Hillsong documentary that was released over the last couple of months. Uh, I, I'm sure most of you probably know who Hillsong is, but if not, just for the sake of filling you in there, they were an assembly of God church in Australia that just spread all around the globe at its height. It had 30 locations and 150,000 people attending on the weekends. And of course their music took over the church world and, and candidly, I love their music, you know, I, I, and I love a lot of things that they had done. I mean, it's amazing over the last several years, um, they have been just inundated with scandal after scandal. You know, women, alcohol, money, mismanagement, you name it, they got it. Uh, the church world is, you know, giving them a black eye. Uh, the Australian government has really jumped in. It sounds like, I mean, it really feels like they could get shut down before this is over because of just the just the absolute abuse and mismanagement at the highest, you know, level of leadership. And it, and it really started with the lead pastor Carl Lentz in in New York City. He was the first domino to fall, but 
thereafter, I mean, it's went all the way to Brian Houston, the guy who started it, you know, and, and there's just fallouts. And and then the the recourse out of this is even uglier, and, and the documentary is really trying to highlight this. You know, in the fallout uh, of the pastors, you know, there there has been public arguments between the pastors and the church board of Hillsong. I mean, it's just ugly, and it's sad to watch. This documentary is a hit piece for sure. It has a leftist slant. Um, I don't think that all the accusations in this documentary are even close to fair. However, there is an element of truth in that documentary, and, and this is what hit me as I was watching it. Hillsong became a church whose goal was to grow as fast as possible and as big as possible. Like, that was the goal. And they weren't even hiding it. What were they saying? We are reaching people for Jesus. Now, was that their motive? Was their motive to evangelize the lost? Was their motive to build God's kingdom? Was their motive to have a big church? Was their motive to have a huge financial budget? Was their motive for their music to go around the world? Did they want fame and accolades? I have no idea what their motive was. I won't speak to that. We can speculate, but speculating isn't going to do us any good. That's between them and the Lord. God is their judge. However, what we are responsible for doing to do is to look at this situation and say, what happened? We need to do an autopsy here. And the fact of the matter is this. Regardless of their motive, whatever their intent, their numerical growth outpaced their spiritual maturity. And that caused the largest down that caused the downfall of one of the largest churches in the world. There was not enough spiritual nurturing of the sheep. There was not enough spiritual nurturing of the under shepherds to handle the growth of the flock that they had. Plain and simple. And here's the thing I want us to know as a staff at J First Assembly. We do not want our growth to outpace our spiritual maturity. We do not want to repeat the mistakes that have been made by people in front of us. Now, what's crazy about this documentary is it came out on May 19th. May 19th probably doesn't sound like a special day to you, but it was a special day for the kingdom because on May 19th, a hero of the faith, Tim Keller, passed away from cancer at age 72. And if you know me at all, you know Tim Keller is just a spiritual hero for me. Um, He's a guy who has written a lot of books that have impacted me perhaps more than any other spiritual leader. Just a great man of of God, someone who loved the Lord, loved the gospel, loved people. And what's interesting about Keller is that he also was in New York City. You know, Hillsong and Carl Lentz, they were in New York City. Keller also started and planted a church in New York City and grew that church to 6,000 people on the weekends. The difference is Keller's church was balanced because it was nurturing the saints and engaging in evangelism. I don't know about their felt need ministries. I, 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 my understanding is that that was a big deal to them. I, I can't speak to that. Now, Keller's an interesting guy because he cut his teeth in a small world church. He pastored in a small world church for a long time before he felt the call of God to go to New York City. He didn't write his first book till he was in his 50s, I believe. Keller you know, grew this church and The church grew to, like I said, 6,000 people, and they had three different campuses. And before he retired, he he saw that what was going to be best for those independent campuses is to break them off as independent, autonomous churches for the health of those people there. So that, that kind of broke his kingdom apart. 
but it was better for the kingdom of God. You know, Keller stayed balanced, and he didn't let church growth outpace the nurturing ability of himself or his church. And as a result, he finished his race well. And on May 19th, Tim Keller stood before the Lord and heard the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. So here's the question for us. What are we to do? I don't, I don't know about you, but I know what I want. I want JFA to be healthy and balanced. And I want to finish this race well. And I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So if it's, it, if it's all the same to you guys, when it comes to our ministries, man, let's shoot for balance. Man, let's, let's nurture the sheep. Let's nurture the saints that are sitting here. They might have been here for five years or 50 years. Let's nurture them. Let's take care of them. Let's love them well. Let's make sure that they stay healthy. Yes, let's reach the lost. There's a lot of lost people in this community. We've seen God do some amazing things in our own church and the people he's bringing in. Praise God for that. Let's keep going with that. Let's meet the needs of the people in the community. Let's be open-handed. Let's be generous. But let's keep all things in balance. Because here's what I believe. I think when we keep things in balance, we're honoring Christ. We're honoring his church. And it's going to be healthy. Take it easy.